Good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Melanie. Um, I'm married to Stu, and together we moved here almost eight years ago to start Real Life Church. Um, it is a privilege and a pleasure to look around and see what Jesus has done amongst us. We're week two in our Easter series, so if you missed last week, you can listen to it on our podcast, get it online. It was a brilliant sermon from Stu, all about what it means that that Jesus was rejected or betrayed so that we basically don't have to be, but also that he can identify with that. Um, So well worth a listen. This week we're looking at the cross and as part of our worship time at the end we're going to be taking communion. Um, I don't know if you have noises that you really like or noises that you enjoy or noises that invoke some kind of emotional response from you. I don't know if you know Stuart well enough but Stuart is such an interesting person because a lot of the time he's, he's extremely introverted and which a lot of people get confused with Stuart because he'll stand up here because he'll interact with a whole group of people he kind of looks a little bit like he could be an extrovert but if you came to our house on a Sunday afternoon you would understand that he is an extreme introvert he is either asleep or shaking in the corner somewhere so he's an extreme introvert but Stuart has a laugh And if you've ever been around Stuart, we call it the crane blast. So it comes from deep down somewhere in his gut. And when he finds something funny, it literally shakes the room. Uh, My niece took about a year to get used to his laugh because every time he laughed, she would just burst into tears because it was so shocking. It would just come. Our boys don't even flinch. And I think that's because even in the womb, they could hear the crane blast. And by the time they were born, they were just kind of used to it. I love it when he laughs. I don't sometimes understand what he's laughing at. Like he laughs at things that I don't even think are funny. Like he, things on TV or programs or uh, he'll just be crying with laughter and I don't understand what he's laughing at. But I love the laugh. I enjoy his laugh. I love it when Levi makes Asher laugh. So Levi can make Asher laugh like no one else. Like, and he's always been able to do it. Even when Asher was a baby, Levi could make him chuckle. And he has this, like, chuckle that is just, it's lovely. I love it. Whenever he does it, I, I like, want to be near it. I love it when the boys are in the garden, and I know that they're up to something naughty, because I can hear, generally speaking, this is how it goes. You're sitting in our kitchen, and you can hear the sound of running water, and you think, Oh my gosh, so yesterday, sitting in the kitchen, I can hear water. I think, oh no, they've got the hose. So, And you can hear this shrieking that is, I know that we're going to get found out. I know that we're in trouble. However, we are young and we're just going to have the best fun. So they have this kind of shrieking noise. 
Part of me wants to leave it because they're young and it's really fun and really funny. The other part of me knows that it's like minus one and the hose is out and the cat is in the garden and I just know that it's all going wrong. But it delights my heart. I love it when we go out in Sutton Park and you can hear the birds and nature just basically kicking off all around you. And I, and I love that. I love that feeling of we were out there yesterday afternoon hunting for mini beasts. So we've got our little jar from kids' work, and we lifted up a log. I tell you, this takes me beyond myself, really, and I'm scooping up woodlouse and earwigs and putting them in the jar so that they can look at them. Most of them died. Like, Levi was like, oh, this one looks a bit dead. Oh, yeah, this one looks a bit dead. So we managed to kill quite a lot of mini-beasts yesterday, but we had a good old look at them. But I love that noise of nature. I just love that. And I love the noise of people. You know when you go into a restaurant or go into a place and there's just an atmosphere. There's not music. There's people chatting, enjoying, laughing. I love that noise. I really, I find it a bit freaky if I go into a restaurant and there's no noise or there's no atmosphere or you're the only people sitting there and it, and it just feels like, oh no, like if I speak, everyone's going to hear me. I love that kind of buzz. If you came to our Pick and Mix women's event on Thursday night, there was such a lovely buzz in the room of people talking, laughing, sharing ideas, that kind of creative kind of buzz. I love it. It's why I work in coffee shops. I sit down to do my kind of work with that buzz of noise going on all around me. I, I find it so creative and lovely. I love noises and there are noises that surround the cross that that are are shocking but also mean life to us so I've called this one bang 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 because this is one of the noises so just I have no idea what this will record like so Aaron is now looking at me like oh my gosh she's got a hammer so this is one of the noises that surrounds the cross so it goes like this I think I've gone all the way through there It's one of the noises, and it's a shocking noise, a devastating noise, but it's the noise that makes Christians. It's the noise that brings us to life. And so as devastating and as horrific as that noise is, that noise buys our life. That noise means that there is a God in heaven who cannot look upon our sin and just overlook it, who cannot look upon us as a people and love us in the way that he wants to unless something is done about it. That noise offers us total forgiveness and total freedom and you don't get it from anywhere else. You can't say... Jesus dying on a cross. I I like the Jesus, the moral teacher, the good man. I like that bit of Jesus, but I don't like the cross. I don't like the sacrifice. I'm not keen on that noise. That's not how this works. That noise means that we get to go into the presence of God, sin-free, scot-free. We get to walk straight in because in that place, he died for us. That noise secures us a home in heaven and on the new earth. That noise for us buys us our freedom but also our place 
It purchases a people for God. That noise means that I can live a full life on the earth now and I don't need to wait until I die before I start living in a way that pleases God. That noise is devastating. That noise will have pierced skin and broken a man. But that noise makes us in right standing with our Father in heaven. I want to get this out of the way, and this is not the verse that I am going to hang around for the rest of the sermon, but I want to get this out of the way nice and quick. So Romans 3, 22 to 24 says this, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. So we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus. This is true for everyone, say everyone, everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone, say everyone, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Everyone gets made right before God by Jesus. Everyone has sinned. No one sits here today as a good person or good enough for Jesus or good enough for God. None of us. So if you're sitting there thinking, well... I'm a fairly good person. I pay my taxes. I tend to stick to the speed limit. I don't lie too much. I don't cheat too much. My sin is, is small. You still fall short of the glory of God because he is perfect and you are not. You fall short of your own standards, let alone a holy God. We all fall short. The Bible's clear and it leaves no gaps For you to say, well, I'm a fairly good person. It leaves no room for that. It says we all fall short. We all have sinned. We all need a saviour. We all need Jesus. I'm going to read a big chunk. So you can look it up in your Bibles and follow along with me or I'll read it to you. I'm going to read Matthew 27. 27 to 56. I'm reading it from the New Living Translation, but you can follow along in in almost any translation and you'll be all right. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and they put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail the king of the Jews. And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and they put his own clothes on him again and they led him away to be crucified. Along the way, they came across a man called Simon, who was from Cyrene. The soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross, and they went to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. 
After that, they nailed him to the cross. The soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice, and then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read this, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, the elders, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And at about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, Wait! Let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And then Jesus shouted out again and released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection. (laughs) Oh, I just find this. Oh, After Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said this man truly was the son of God. And many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. I want to look this morning at some of the noises heard cross and I want to bring some fresh revelation to you about what it means that Jesus died there about what it means for us as a people I I want to bring it to you if you've been saved a week or 40 years or 60 years and I want you again this morning to have revelation if you don't know Jesus this morning unashamedly I will encourage you to get to know him unashamedly Because if I'm totally honest, the only thing that matters in this life is that you make a decision about Jesus. The only thing. It will be the only thing when you come to the end of your life that will determine what your eternal future looks like. It will be the only thing that matters. Everything else will be reduced to nothing. This will be the thing that matters. This will be the thing that lasts. So I will unashamedly encourage you, invite you, 
implore you to investigate, to discover, to say yes to Jesus. So this is one of the noises that I want to look at, this noise. Because I want us to understand that at the cross, Jesus actually died. Jesus was actually crucified. It isn't a picture or a story or something that we just wear around our necks or hang up in a room. He actually died. And he didn't just fall asleep and die. I kind of have this image of me when I'm 96 sitting in my lounge with my life around me and a, and a cup of chamomile tea in my hand and going to sleep. And I'd like that to be my death, where I just sit there and I am satisfied with my life and I have a sip of my tea and I check out and I go and be with Jesus. This isn't that. This is one of the cruelest, most devastating forms of torture and execution that was ever brought about. This was outlawed by the Romans because they saw it to be just too gross to use anymore. They would never use it on one of their citizens because it was too horrific, too humiliating, too horrible. And this is the time where the Son of God chose to be born on earth in a time frame where this is the kind of death that he would face for us. He did that because there are many things in the Old Testament that suggest we need that kind of sacrifice. And I know sometimes that just doesn't sit with us, it's not comfortable with us, but I think we have to face it and go, that is what my sin required. That is what the price, that was the penalty for my sin. That was the penalty for our sin. That was what was required by God to make a people right with him. And I think as a people, we never want to become complacent about the fact that he did that for us. It's why our worship time should be full of songs that celebrate him. Quite honestly, I don't want to be in a worship time that celebrates me. I, like, I, I think I'm all right, but I don't think I'm outstanding. I don't think I am worthy of all honor and all praise. I think he is I think the lengths at which he went to to make a people right before God are outstanding. I want to sing about him. I want to know about him because he is worthy of my praise. He is worthy always. And I want to have him lifted up and I want to encounter him. And I know that my life looks better when I get my eyes on him and not on me. I know that he is worth it all. I know that he is enough. I know that he just didn't pass away in his sleep. I know that he suffered and died and was buried and then God raised him back to life. I mean, who doesn't want to worship that? That's incredible. That's outstanding. That I want to celebrate, that I want to come face to face with, that I want to know. That is what a world out there needs to know, that he is outstanding. 
They were shouting at the cross. Like, like, I, like sometimes I can't read those words where he is mocked, where they are yelling abuse at him. I, sometimes like, it chokes me to think that someone spat on him. And, and, and while he spat on him, he is sustaining that person's life. That, that to me, like, it just, everything about it I find appalling. I, I just think, ah! But then I remember that was me. That was me before I was saved. So I lived a life that mocked him, that laughed, that spat, that pretended like he did not exist, that did it my way. And I was among the scoffers. I was among the mockers. I was among those who spat. And then I again go back to this place where I'm like, my goodness, that God would save me, that God would save them as they're mocking, as they're scoffing, as they're ridiculing him, as they're dressing him up, as they're putting a sign above his head, that he would save them, that he would save us, that he would save everybody out there as they mock, as they scoff, as they ridicule. One thing I want to say to us is that there will always be people that mock. There will always be people that scoff. There will always be people that ridicule him and you. There will always be those that think it's ridiculous, that do not understand why you make the choices you make, live the life that you live. There will always be those. And I think something's wrong if those people aren't around. There will always be those that mock and scoff and ridicule. They're the people that God dies for. They're the people that he seeks to save. They were you and I before we were saved. So don't be put off by those who mock, by those who scoff. Remind yourself, that used to be me. Now look where I am. It's what makes the cross so powerful, so encompassing, so incredible, is that God would die in the place of mockers, scoffers, abusers, those that would spit, those that would chant, those that would ridicule, those that would kill him. He would die in their place for all their sin. There's a point in the cross where Jesus calls out, and the first cry is devastating. The first cry is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you looked away? Because there was a moment when Jesus bore the sins of the world that a holy and perfect God had a separation from his son. That which had never been separated, always in perfect relationship, community. And the cry, I I won't have done it justice reading it out, I bet that cry was terrifying because that separation had literally never been experienced. That separation means that you and I never have to be separate 
from God. That cry of why have you abandoned me means that you and I never have to cry that. We never have to say to God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me on my own? Where are you? We never have to cry that because he cried that once for all. You and I get to be right with God. We get to have him always with us. He will never turn his face away from you. Because on the cross, that's what happened to Jesus. And it's, it's gutting and should fuel praise and should cause us to rise up and should make us a people that make the most out of the fact that we're not separate that we're not abandoned, that we're not on our own. You might feel lonely. Even today, you might be sitting here thinking, what do you know? I am so lonely. I am so on my own. You might be, as a human being, in the place that you live or your workplace or your, or your place that you inhabit, in your job, your life, you may feel lonely. You are not alone. If you are born again, if you are a Christian... You are never abandoned. You are never alone. You always have him with you because of that moment there, because of that noise that cries out. You never have to cry that. And then there's another cry that Jesus makes from the cross. A cry that says, this is done, this is finished. And then the temple curtain tears in two. And you might look at the curtains here and go, what, a curtain like that? Like a blue curtain? Not, you know, my favourite curtains, not nice fabric or anything. But, you know, good for a school. That, tearing in two, no, no, no. We're talking about a curtain that is probably as high as this thick, heavy fabric that when it tore, would have terrified the people because this curtain separated man from God. This curtain made sure that you didn't die. This curtain contained the holy of holies, the most holy place that someone went in once a year. And if they came out alive, were very fortunate. This curtain represented separation from God. This curtain represented that you are different to God, you are other, you cannot come close. And this curtain tore in two. The noise would have been terrifying, but not just the noise, the people seeing it, I think would have been screaming. I think there would have been running as people thought, what, what is happening? This, this place that was separate and cornered off is now open access. We look at it and go, yes, I love it. I read it and go, yes, no curtain. For them to even peep round the curtain meant sure and sudden death. To have it torn in two would have been terrifying and freeing. For us, it is incredible that the curtain's torn in two. It means our worship can look different. Our experience of God can look different because we can come right in. There is no holy of holies. There is no most holy place. There is nothing that we can't access and come close to. So basically, we stand back or we stay away 
out of choice. Everything has been opened up. The way has been made. The noise that the curtain made said, this is done, this is finished. I have accomplished it all in that incredible ripping of the separation between God and man. This noise means that your worship can look whatever you want it to look like. It doesn't need to follow a certain order, certain amount of bloodshed, certain amount of animal sacrifice, certain amount spent to be able to do it. You come because he sacrificed one for all. Because he cried out, because he tore the, ter- the, the curtain in two. You come through the blood. You come because of him. All paid, all done. Which is why our worship should look free. And free to be who you are and how God has made you, but free. Because all access has been given, has been granted Creation then cries out. What you read in the story is this noise. The earth literally trembles. It shakes. Rocks split apart. Like, have you been anywhere where that happens? Have you been anywhere where rocks just split apart or you felt tremors? Where you think, have you seen photos of earthquakes and devastation where you think, like, you would know about that, wouldn't you? You would know that something was going on beneath your feet. You see, creation can't stay silent when the creator is giving up his very life. Creation doesn't stay still. It doesn't stay calm. It doesn't stay quiet. It erupts. Creation erupts when the creator is being put to death. Creation cries out. Creation will always cry out that there's a God Like, look around you, it will always scream as loud as it can that there is a God. It's what happens when people say, well, what about people who've never heard about God or never heard the gospel? Creation always screams that there's a God. Go to the zoo, look at the animal kingdom. Look at a scan photo of how children are made. Look at yourselves, look around. Creation is always crying out that there's a creator. Creation is always yelling at the top of its voice that someone made me, that someone put color, variety, someone did this, that someone created order. That someone brought life into being. Creation is always crying out. It's enough to be honest. I remember when I saw the first scan photo of, of my Levi. I literally, I, like, I remember saying, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand how they've got all of that like, in me and they're the size of a grape. How, like, how have they got all of that? How, like, and I, I went home, I was like, I don't, I don't understand. I, I still keep their scan photos up because I don't get it. It's, it's too incredible. It's too detailed. It's too much. Like, my, my head can't cope with how amazing life is. And we know that because it's so devastating when it goes wrong. So we know it's amazing 
Creation speaks all the time. And at the cross, it was crying out, you're crucifying the creator. And then you've got this interesting thing where it says the dead come to life. Oh my gosh. Do you know there are scenes in the Bible that I think I would love to have been there? That is one of them. Because I think truly terrifying. What does that even look like? That people like, like climb out of the grave. Like what do they even look like? It can't be like the zombie apocalypse or something. What does that even look like? Do, have they got like all their brand new skin on them? Are they, are they walking around like new resurrected bodies? Are they, are they like people that you've buried and grieved for and suddenly they're wandering around the town? But what does that even look like? I tell you what, that looks noisy. That looks like people going, what? What's going on? What, that? that looks like ground splitting, graves opening. That, like, that looks crazy. But the dead come to life. And I think there's many things going on at the crucifixion. One of the things is the dead cannot stay dead because he's Jesus because he isn't just a man, because they put a sign above his head mocking him, saying, King of the Jews. Man, man, he's the king of the kings. You don't get to crucify and kill the king of kings. He gets to defeat death. And so you've got the dead walking around, because in actual fact, that's us. In actual fact, in three days' time, that's Jesus walking around in his resurrected body, Amongst the people. That's us. I was once dead and now I'm alive. I was dead in my sin. And now God has literally reached down into the grave, bust it open and stood me up. And now I walk around. The dead brought back to life. That's my story. If you are saved in here, that is your story. God reached down into your death and he pulled you back to life. You did not find him. You did not go looking for him. You were in the grave. He brought you back to life. He does that. And even though this messes with our head and we think, what? He does that. And it's noisy, it's creative, and it is incredible. He does that. And then the last noise I want to look at is, is the faith of the, the Roman soldier who exclaims at the cross, at the point of crucifixion, at the point where Jesus dies, and all this is kicking off. Like basically all of creation is going nuts. It's all happening everywhere. He looks up and says, surely this man truly is the son of God. That's what the cross is about. The noise, the, the commotion, the, the creation, everything is done so that men and women can look up and go, surely this is the son of God. That they can forget. Like I can't even imagine him being able to stay in the Roman army or even stay alive saying that out loud. Like, but it feels like it didn't matter. Like he's looked at it and gone, not mocking, not abusing, not shouting, surely you are who you say you are. And that's what the cross does. 
That's what the noise does. It causes men and women to stand back and go, surely you are the Son of God. It causes men and women to look up and see a saviour who died in their place for all their sin. It causes men and women to not care about the consequences or what it will cost me in my job or my standing or my whatever. It causes men and women to look up and go, surely you are Jesus. That's what it did for you if you are saved in this room. So I want to encourage you, the cross is noisy. There is loads going on. What it purchases for you is noisy. It's life when you were dead. There was no noise and then you were brought back to life. It's noisy because actually the work of Jesus in our lives should cause us to tell others Not because we train you or give you some evangelistic talk on how to lead your friends to Christ, but because you were dead and now you're alive, there should be a flurry of activity around you with people going, I'm sorry, weren't you dead? Like I would be, if someone walked in the room who we'd buried, you'd be going, "Uh, I'm sorry, what's going on here? You're like, you were dead, I saw you, you were dead, what's happened? How has your life changed? Why are you standing up? There would be a flurry of activity around those who are alive. This thing done for us causes life to come up from within us. This causes people to ask the question, what's going on? What's happened? What's changed? There will always be mockers, always be scoffers, but there will be amongst that men and women who cry out, surely this is the Son of God. Our worship should be noisy. And I don't mean just shouting for the sake of shouting. We are a people who have been saved. We should sound like that. We should sound like we have much to celebrate. Because even when my life is a mess, even when my circumstances suck, I am redeemed. I am saved. I am justified. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. Our worship should sound like that. Our prayers should sound like that. Our witness should sound like that because we are saved. If you don't know Jesus in this room, my gosh, know him. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the leaders. Open a Bible. Read a gospel. Find out about him and get saved. You want to be one of those standing at the foot of the cross saying, surely this is the Son of God. If you know him and your walk with him is tired or you're feeling tired, get a gospel out, get some worship on, get yourself some Jesus. Understand that he died for you so that you might live and have a life and life in its fullness. Amen. I want to encourage you to stand. We are going to take bread and wine as part of our worship time this morning. We will do it in amongst singing some of the songs about him. I want to encourage you to make some noise, to sing, to clap, to applaud, because you are alive. He has rescued you from the grave. The nails that pierced his skin, the cross that he hung on, the temple curtain that tore in two, 
all of those things were done so that God could have a people that he could enjoy forever. Amen? Amen. Amen.